Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Relegation remix. Watford stung by Saints as sinners axed for a little mixing. Uh, coming up, the ultimate preview looks at all seven midweek games as it tightens up at the bottom and Wolves put pressure on Champions League chasing Chelsea and Manchester United. Solskjaer goes to the seaside. Frank goes back to the Hammers. Leicester are yet to win and they go to Goodison Park. Manchester City face Liverpool a week too late and there's a massive chance for Bournemouth to climb out of the relegation zone as they face Newcastle. Also this week, Chris Wilder says other managers told him he should have taken direct action after the goal that wasn't a goal at Villa Park. I've got say you know I've had I've had I've had managers I've had a couple of managers said why did you why did he come out at second half at Villa like and so, so you know but you know obviously you're asking the question and did you think about that no never I wouldn't have thought about that all on the podcast that's about as accurate under pressure as Dwight Gale it's the game day podcast from TalkSport this is game day Hello, social distancers. Welcome to the pod and welcome to a former Nottingham Forest, Southampton and Leeds midfielder. The best thing to come out of Hull since, um, well, the best thing to come out of Hull, it's David Prutton. How are you? <laughs> I'm very, very well, Sam. Thank you for having me along. And in that illustrious list you just chucked out, um, I'm always grateful, but obviously respectful that sometimes Colchester, Scunny and Swindon don't actually make that. So yeah. um, we'll take that one on the chin. Yeah, we'll much. go for the headline acts here. You know, <laughs> We wouldn't introduce Coldplay with a load of their B-sides, would we? <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends how, what's the word, obsessed you would be with a Coldplay. I don't think many people are obsessed with me, so you're fine. OK, Alex Crook is here as well. We're not obsessed with him. Uh, he's been at Selhurst Park this week and will be at Brighton and Bournemouth as well. How are you? I'm good. Before we crack on with this, Ah. can you please turn off your camera? Because that at-home haircut is literally hurting my eyes. You look like a cross between Ryland and Emily Sanday. It's not great, mate. (laughs) With a bit of Travis Bickle thrown in as well. (laughs) It is is as horrendous as Bournemouth's form since the restart. Do you know what? I've got to be honest with you. It is the worst thing I've done in lockdown. Basically, what happened was is that I went to Sheffield United versus... No, where was it? It was Norwich versus Manchester United on Saturday. And I bumped into our podcast friend, Darren Lewis, who's with us every Thursday. And I said to him four times, all right, Darren. And he kept looking at me. All right, Darren, how are you doing? How was your journey? Yeah, fine, thank you. He was looking at me as if I'm really weird. I'm like, Darren? He went... Oh, I didn't recognise you with your long hair. I didn't notice that You're it was you. Joking. You look so different. And he honestly, he honestly didn't recognise me. 
And he, he said to me, I'm sorry, mate. He goes, your hair is so bad that I, I didn't <laughs> notice that it was you. So I, yeah, and it, it sort of played so on my mind. So you thought you'd make it worse. It played on my mind a little bit. So I came <laughs> home and uh, I said to, to my wife, I said, we've got to sort this out. This is bad. I mean, Darren Lewis doesn't even recognise How How I long am. was it? I it mean, was long. Was it was like it, down it, here. So you've gone shoulder here. length. Yeah, 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 pretty much. With a bob. Yeah. Um, so it had to go. So I, I, I had a couple of glasses of uh, red wine, got the uh, hair cutting scissors out, and the rest is history. <laughs> anyway. The good news is, though, you don't need to worry about people not recognising you from now on, especially if you volunteer for one of those ID parades. They're definitely going to pick you out. <laughs> Two stories I picked up from Bramall Lane over the weekend that need a little bit of attention. First of all, here's Chris Wilder on what other managers have told him to do after the GDS failed at Villa Park. I've got to say, you know, I've had, I've had, I've had managers. I've had a couple of managers said, "Why did you, why did you come out at second half at Villa?" Like, and so, so I, you know, but I, you know, obviously you're asking the question. And did you think it, about that? No, never. I wouldn't have thought about that. Um, it's not, not in, in my attitude. And you know, you wanna, you wanna win, and you wanna go and win, the, win the right way. But things, those things have passed, haven't they? They've passed, and we have to, we have to get on with it, and we have to look for the next performance. I'm delighted that, in a way, as I said, more of a Sheffield United performance today, first and second balls. Things have gone against us today, but we're the only ones that can, can affect that and come, come out the other way, and, uh, and we'll do our, our, our very, very best to do that. Would that have been the right thing to do, David? Absolutely not. Who on earth has said that should be the course of action? No. Now, did you see Dean Smith's reaction when he, he was asked the question about the Leeds-Villa game last season when, obviously, Marcelo Bielsa allowed Villa to equalise after they just made an absolute horror show of the ball back after an injury? And the, the, the question was asked to try and draw out a comparison and there is absolutely no comparison between the two at all. Yes, it's it's a one in, what, 9,000 time, time frame that this has actually happened, yeah. but it, it's... You, no, you can't be not coming out for the second half because that's failed. Everyone's, everyone watching the game, looking around, going, something should happen here. And then, obviously, when the, the GDS doesn't click, because as we know, up until then, completely faultless. That buzzes in the air and the referee points to his watch saying, you can just shout and scream at me as much as you want. It's a goal. There you go. VAR, as we know, the interpretation is what's getting up people's noses with that. But when that should have kicked in and didn't, yes, it's, it's a massive kick in the unmentionables. It's... Something that I presume, if we see it again in the next five or ten years, would be astonishing. But I, I, I really don't think you can advocate not coming out for the second half because that happened. The, the other discussion was along the kind of Dean Smith line was, should you have given them a goal? No. There's, a, there's still a full half of football left. You, the minute that starts happening, Crook, I mean, that, it, it baffles me to think that somebody at the very high end of the game and we know what's at stake we know exactly how big these Premier League games are but you can't do that, that, that that's his point in a way his point is, is that sometimes he comes across as Mr Sheffield United oh well I'll accept it you know maybe I'll, I, I shouldn't be uh, maybe I, I should just sort of sit there and go it levels up over the course of a season but you know if you're, if you're a Sheffield United supporter you know that that's nonsense because they've been on the end of too many wrong decisions and actually what his suggestion now is is that he's going to be a little bit more aggressive in fighting those injustices but he, what, Chris Wilder needs more aggression? Do, do, do we really think so? He's a naturally combative fella. He's got to um, but the I very think high probably been a li- of his profession. But he's been a little bit because sort of subservient to the Premier League, hasn't he? So I don't think he has. No? I don't, I don't, I, he's, not, he's, not, he's not the kind of stereotypical Capitan Northerner that's come in and hanging out with the big boys. He's, his team has shown exactly how you attack the Premier League and they've been absolutely wonderful. And there's an authenticity to that club, that manager and that group of players that not many Premier League teams can replicate, I don't think. And he's won plaudits. Yes, he might have been on the wrong end of some decisions, 
but look where they are. I'm not saying be grateful for where you are because you shouldn't be thinking about Europe, etc. But over the course of a season, these things do happen. And I can't think for one second that Chris Wilder would have been speaking to another Premier League manager and saying, you shouldn't have come out for the second half until you got that sorted. I can't think for a second he would have, have said, that's my advice for that. See, when in the intro I saw you were talking about being aggressive with, with officials and, and taking matters into your own hand, it did remind me of David Prutton for something at Arsenal. <laughs> All and they did change the mind crook, so it never works. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a long time ago. Yeah, I can't remember either. Uh, talking, really talking of flexing muscles, um, that's something that the Arsenal manager has been doing as well. Also after the game, I asked Mikel Arteta about some of his absent squad members. You didn't bring Matteo Genduzzi with you again today and you didn't bring Mesut Ozil with mm. you today. As those two players got futures at the club under you? Yeah, everybody that wants to be on board with us has a future here. Do they want to be on board with you? I assume so. Um, I don't really understand this Meza Ozil situation. I mean, one of the most iconic images since we last recorded was him sat in the stand at St Mary's holding up a brolly to shield himself <laughs> from the sunshine. Uh, Wally with a brolly mark too. But what has he actually done, Meza Ozil, to make himself so persona non grata with Mikel Arteta. I haven't seen any public comments of him complaining about his Isn't it more a question of what he hasn't done? Well, but he hasn't really been given a chance to do anything, has he, under uh, Mikel Arteta? And to to a certain extent, even towards the final weeks of Unai Emery's reign. You can't sort of label that at Mikel Arteta because he sees him in training every day and we don't. And I would imagine that he's quite demanding in training if uh, his, his mentor, Pep Guardiola, is anything to go by. Listen, I'm not defending Mesut Ozil for the, the, the lack of desire that he's shown at times in an Arsenal shirt. However, I do think he's being a little bit unfairly scapegoated and I think the only way to judge him is to get him out on the pitch. Arsenal, certainly in the Premier League terms, have got nothing to play for. So what's to lose? Giving him a run of games to prove he has a future of the club. The trouble they've got is if Mikel Arteta does believe privately that he's played his last game for the club, who on earth is going to take him off Arsenal's hands on those wages? So they're going to have to grin and bear it and find a way to utilise the bloke who's earning 350 grand a week. To say, and I think you're absolutely right there in the sense of, this, this, I mean, the irony is with relatively nothing to play for between now and the end of the season, if he does get a game, it'll look like the well-beater that we know he can be because, I mean, pressure's off, isn't it? Let's be honest. But may, maybe when you talk about Arteta and the fact that he's had such close proximity to what the Premier League is and, and, and seen it, obviously, uh, up at Manchester City, it's not like he's been abroad and perhaps not seen on a weekly basis the output from Mesut is it? He'd have seen it. People in football talk. If we can see it as people in the media, fans can see it looking onto the pitch, your eyes very rarely deceive you when you're looking at what, what a footballer's putting out onto a football pitch. And that dovetails nice into what we're going to speak about next with Gwen Doozy. But from Ozil's point of view, the minute that money was was given to him, it's not his fault. You know, again, the perennial argument of should a footballer turn it down? Absolutely not. Um, and relative value and worth that you get from that type of money. But the minute that that gets given and suddenly this player is not creating two or three, four or five chances a game, a goal every other game, maybe producing the type of numbers that he's not done before in his in his career, suddenly that barometer swings. And it does seem like every time he's, he's on the pitch, through partly his fault and partly through expectation, he's got to be at least a, a, a 10 out of 10, if not more. Otherwise, we all go, oh, look, typical Mesut Ozil, don't we? Um, on Matteo Genduzzi, a reports emerged immediately after he was left out of the Southampton game that he was up for a move in the summer. They'd probably make money on him, actually, wouldn't they? Because um, they bought him very cheaply from Lorient. But this is a player who's had a history of attitude problems when he's been in the youth teams at PSG, and it's not the first time that, uh, that uh, Mikel Arteta has fallen out with him. 
Perception wise, what do we think? He's a big time Charlie, isn't he? And he showed that with the way he reacted full time at Brighton. Big time Perry Charlie. Gr- does he just believe in himself? I mean, I mean, the rumours are that he actually said to Neil Mopai on the pitch something about how much he earned in comparison to how much the Brighton players earned. Yeah, but how much you earn doesn't automatically make you a better footballer. He's, I think he's done very well to get that move and to be earning the money he is. It's but a bit is, crass, is he, isn't it? Is he an Arsenal quality player? If you if you're still talking about Arsenal in terms of top four and and what they've achieved in the Premier League era, absolutely not. Is he a good enough footballer to be chucking his weight around as he did against Brighton? Absolutely not. So, it, listen, I think he probably has played his last game for the club. I think Arteta can see through him. I think the fans can see through him. Probably even his own teammates can see through him. There, there is an attitude problem at Arsenal. The way that they conduct themselves during that Brighton game suggests they still think they're a big club. Well, listen, guys, you're not. You're mid-table mediocrity at best. You're fortunate to get into the FA Cup semi-final. You're going to lose the FA Cup semi-final. You're going to achieve nothing this season. It needs an overhaul. And I think he has become emblematic of the systematic problems the Gunners have got. Taking it short to Trossard, gives it back to Solly March inside the area, across the face of Gold Martinez, couldn't get it. Surely it's over the line, and the goal decision system works. And Brighton have themselves level, and I think it was Lewis Dunk that got the final touch to put it over the goal line, and Brighton have a precious equaliser. Shaw, who goes round the fullback, produces across the heap for Mata, falls towards Igalo, hooks it over the top of Krull, and he scores again. Igalo goes one further right to Juan Bissaka, right hand corner of the box, goes on the outside of Stevens, crosses for Martial, 2 0. Brilliant Manchester United goal. The build up was fantastic. Fernandez to Pogba. Pogba found Wan-Bissaka and he drove the crossing low and Martial has his second of the half early ball up to the edge of the area Conley flicks it on Mopay's in Mopay wins it for Brighton what a brilliantly worked goal from the Seagulls Eight changes on Saturday disrupted Ollie's rhythm but Manchester United go to Brighton having performed pretty well in the Premier League last week against Sheffield United. One of the best performances of the season. Uh, De Gea, Pogba, Rashford, Martial, Wambasaka will all be amongst those returning. What what do you think about uh, them taking on Brighton? Because you're the expert down on the south coast, uh, Crook. Brighton have had a good restart, haven't they? Are they going to upset Manchester United? In the build-up to the Norwich game, as you know, I was stupidly bullish about Manchester United's chances for the rest of the season. We will batter them, I think, was the, the quote. <laughs> 45 minutes into that game, probably 88 minutes into that game, I was feeling decidedly less bullish. And I'm not that confident about this trip to the South Coast. I just thought it was a return to the bad old ways of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the weekend. I know that they were changing personnel, but I thought the performance was lethargic. I thought they lacked a bit of dynamism. I thought they were very lucky to get through, actually, and probably without the red card, may well have gone out. I'm not convinced they needed to make eight changes. I think it's upset the momentum a little bit that they were building up. And and this is a, a must-win game when you look at the form that Chelsea are in. So Brighton have already beaten Arsenal. They got a good point against Wolves just before the restart, backed it up with a good point on the road at Leicester. That suggests that Graham Potter has made them a little bit more resilient. I don't think this is going to be the stroll in the park for United that maybe it would have been a few months ago. Um, they have a tough job, don't they, David? Mainly because of mm. Wolves' consistency. Are you hoping that... Uh, their legs get tired or will Manchester United fans be hoping that their legs get tired? Nuno has only used 10 of his available 15 subs so far and five of those have been in the last five minutes of games. In terms of rhythm, tempo and consistency, they are the epitome of it. 
Absolutely. And going off what Crooks just said there as well, when you have, we have had such a long break, I'm not suggesting for one second you get the players back and flog them to death, but you need that rhythm. Nuno's very rarely the squad that got them into the uh, Premier League and the team that's that's making such a good fist of consolidation, well, better than consolidation, is one that has got a hell of a lot of minutes and games in the legs of the players. And from experience of playing, if, when things are going really good or, or when you've had such a block of time off, you want to get back playing as regularly as possible. I understand big squads sometimes there's, there's that fragmented way of looking at different competitions I, I do understand that but uh, yeah it, it's momentum it, it's it's being able to get back into the swing of things and it's coming off the back of what we've seen what we've seen in different games and just to marginally broaden it out in, in certain ways we've seen Manchester City get back into the metronomic wonderful ways of playing football we've seen Liverpool get themselves back up to it in the Palace game so anybody those two that you'd have to say have, have kind of got back to some form of what we'd, we'd have known before, I think, mm. because other than that, and again, going back to piggyback Crook's point of the lethargy sometimes, and it, it, and it might seem, I understand from the outside looking, at, looking in, it's three months off, get back a couple of games, you should all be pretty fresh, but it's getting in, into the rhythm, the, the muscle memory, getting those fast switch fibres going again. The very, very best appear to be able to do it, the best underneath the very very best might just be taking a couple of games to get going um united were comfortable winners at old trafford when these two met in november but there's a bit of heart uh, about brighton isn't there and the comeback against arsenal showed that and you've been talking to matt ryan about what happens when they face these big teams yeah, I did. And it was an interesting conversation because they've already beaten Arsenal twice this season. They've beaten Spurs as well. They beat United last season. So what's the secret? Let's ask the Australian goalkeeper. You can't be too respectful of the bigger teams because you give them that extra space and you sit off them that little bit more and you know that allows them to do what they want to do. And then when you're coming up against the smaller teams, you can't then not given the same amount of respect because you underestimate them and you know you get yourselves into trouble through being complacent. On to West Ham against Chelsea, which is live on game day on Wednesday night. Chelsea haven't won at the London Stadium for three years. Oh, West Ham are a bit of a bogey team for Chelsea. They are always super motivated to upset Frank Lampard and they won't have played for six days going into this fixture. There were times in that first half in particular against Leicester, David, where Chelsea looked a little bit jaded. Well, it, it's since come out, hasn't it? I mean, off the back of the game that we heard uh, Frank talk, we heard Ross Barkley talk, um, very much read them a very old traditional riot act, didn't they? And went ballistic, which shows his standards. He knows ultimately that that team is judged, uh, or sorry, he will be judged on that team that he puts out and how well they perform. And saying along the lines of, in, in, in his time in charge, it's the worst they've been, which I think does really kind of uh, bring into sharp focus what they need to do in the next game. I think what we saw of them, obviously, particularly against Manchester City, we know fundamentally this team could compete with the very, very best in the league. Perhaps games such as the West Ham game is where we see that character, that strength, that resilience that, it, again, is so um, reflective of what um, Frank Lampard was like. But I think off the back of that, getting through uh, through the, uh, the quarterfinals and having something as well as the league to look forward to is going to stand them in good stead. And West Ham... Uh, they'll, they'll, there's differing um, opinions on West Ham and depending where you're from geographically depending what you think of them as a football club and a football team but if Chelsea have got any kind of certain sense of self-worth this should be a game that they should turn up and, and not necessarily struggle too much with it 
ruthless of Frank to flex his managerial muscles and he won't certainly be letting up against West Ham. He knows what this game means. But if Chelsea were to win this crook, it would be some achievement having beaten Manchester City, Leicester, Aston Villa coming back from a goal down and prior to lockdown beating Liverpool and Everton. Why is there a part of me that feels as if this is the one in which they fall flat? I think history and uh, what we've learned from West Ham, even this season, because of course they won the game at a Stamford Bridge when we had the uh, the story about David Martin and, and, and running up to hug Alvin in the stands. And, and West Ham, historically, and, and even this season, do seem to turn up against the better teams. I think he's wrong. And I think if West Ham do win this game, to a certain extent, they've been conning their manager and their fans on what we're seeing for the rest of the season. But I wouldn't put it past them. I think if Chelsea win the game, I, w- I will have to reevaluate my prediction that they're going to miss out on a place in the top four. They've been terrific um, since the restart. I thought it was a really impressive victory in the FA Cup as well. But I can understand why Chelsea fans would, would be fearing this game. But I think it is based on what's happened historically. I've seen West Ham since the restart. They were okay against Spurs. They huffed and puffed. They never looked like scoring. I still think there's a lack of heart and a lack of desire in their team. So I actually think Chelsea probably will win this game. Christian Pulisic scored twice and influenced all three games since the resumption. He's come back flying. He looks some player. He's only 21 years of age. I understand the squad have come back incredibly fit. Tactically, I thought they were brilliant at being compact against Manchester City, sliding across, shutting down those spaces which City love to exploit. But they have had a consistency issue. If they can sort that out, they could end up finishing third in the league, couldn't they, David? Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. With Pulisic, he looks like he's got the bit between his teeth, isn't he? There was a lot of chat before he was in a position to cement himself in the first team. And what a footballer, or the only thing a footballer can do when there's a lot of talk and the, about what how you're viewed and, and um, valued within a, within a side is to get on the pitch and show him exactly what he can do, which is very straightforward. It's what he's done. Um, and the consistency levels are absolutely right. We rightly lord Liverpool. We rightly lord Manchester City. And the best players are not necessarily the ones that you can't get the ball off in a phone box. They're the ones that you know every single week, seven, eight, out of 10 at least mm. and on the very very good days that they have more often than not 9 out of 10 so I think um, to get that into this side and that only comes from uh, that momentum of working together the rhythm of working together that kind of comfort that comes from playing a relatively settled side or, or, relative, or using a relatively settled squad with maybe a slight difference to what we were speaking about with Arsenal later on no, no real distinct egos a manager who knows fundamentally what the club's about what the players are about he's seen a lot of the players but it is a team and a squad that's greater than the sum of its parts. OK, Chelsea haven't beaten West Ham away since Edin Hazard and Diego Costa scored in March 2017. And earlier in the season, an Aaron Cresswell goal earned West Ham all three points. OK, let's focus on that Bournemouth game because after Watford's slip-up, um, I wonder if Andre Gray, Nathaniel Shalabar and Domingos Kina are about to go on the Cherries' wall of fame. Alex Crook? Well... Immediately after that Watford defeat, I texted you and said, this is a massive chance for Bournemouth now. I think this is Bournemouth's biggest game in five years since they won promotion on that famous night against Bolton, got themselves into the Premier League for the first time. They've never really been embroiled in a relegation dogfight until now. They've always stayed up with something to spare. They are deep in the mire now. But that Watford defeat has to have settled the mind. They, they, they know now if they can beat Newcastle, Newcastle side who on paper have got nothing to play for. They've just come through a difficult game against Manchester City in the FA Cup. That would have taken its toll physically. This is a guilt-edged opportunity. And if Bournemouth have got any chance of staying in the Premier League this season, 
they have to win the game. If they don't win the game, they're down. David, uh, Newcastle have this habit, though, of having none of the ball but still finding a way to win, and that's been the hallmark of their season. Their expected goals against is 12 worse than what they've actually conceded. It shows <laughs> how well a defence and goalkeeper have played, and they've got a bit fortunate. But it doesn't mm. bode well for Bournemouth, does it? Because they create very little, and at the moment they're scoring very little, and there's no Callum mm. Wilson. No, you're absolutely right. And if we take the game against Manchester City, yes, it's a slightly different set of opposition, granted. But when you when you listen to that game and you're watching that game and you, you hear commentators and, and talking about, there, there is a lot of legwork and concentration involved in containing another side. Yeah. It, it's it's a different skill set altogether. And that's not me say, saying it, it's just a, a defeatist attitude. It's absolutely not. It's using who you've got and the personnel you've got. I mean, poor old Andy Carroll's, well, he's, he actually looked like he enjoyed himself going around booting Laporte up in the air every time he got the ball. But that ball goes forward, it comes straight back. That ball goes forward, it comes straight back. It takes lots of communication, takes lots of concentration. We, we didn't, obviously, with regard to the giving away the penalty, that's when the concentration lapses. But if a team's used to that, they get their heads around, that's what the next game's going to be. Digging in, knowing that if I'm in midfield, who's right to, to the right, to the left of me, is in, is in good spirits and ready to go. Who's behind me is in exactly the same frame of mind. Who's above knows exactly what their job is. So... That, that containment element is it, they go there and say well it's a bit of a cliche we've got a point already you do your best to try and take three offers we, we're going to sit in we might have the occasional break uh, and they, they seem used to it and if you're a purist you're probably sat there going well that's not the way to play football if you're or a Premier League manager like Steve Bruce he says my remit I'm sorry is to be in the Premier League next year this will keep us in the Premier League okay. so and I that's get that. exactly how it's going to be and I totally understand that but when you have secured your future in the Premier League and you're about yeah. to play Manchester City in the FA Cup, why on earth do you, when you haven't won a trophy for like 50 years, play a weakened team? Debravka, Shelby, Joe Ellington, you're probably your best three performers over the last few weeks, left on the bench. I found that odd. I mean, with the greatest respect, it's like talking about whether the Dwight Girl goal uh, attempt goes in. The, the team that they're playing against, would that have made that much difference, Crook? No, I'm, I'm with David. I mean, there was absolutely no chance that Newcastle were going to win that game uh, unless Manchester City put out the under-15s. Pep Guardiola has made it pretty clear his focus now is the FA Cup and the Champions League. They won at a canter. It's slightly bizarre that Steve Bruce is resting players because this game against Bournemouth means nothing to them, but ultimately it wouldn't have changed the outcome. Interesting you mentioned there that they don't have much of the ball, Newcastle. That won't suit Bournemouth because I think every time they have more than 50% possession this season, they've ended up not winning the game. So that's not a great sign for Eddie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah. Lacazette's using his body to get a shot on goal. What strength and what a fantastic finish at the near post by Alexandre Lacazette. You only just have to catch up and just have to get better and better and better. And then you just have to make improvement to generate the lift. And when you generate the lift, you have the crowds and the, the history and the fans that we have. You can do anything I have. Into the area, Puki making space for a shot! 2-0 Norwich City! And it's that man again! For us, it's important that we go stick to our principles and uh, we develop the club further on exactly in, uh, in this way and this hour. Okay, let's uh, move on to Arsenal and Norwich, another game which is live on game day on Wednesday, six o'clock on Talk Sport. Uh, I was at the Arsenal game on Sunday. I thought they were average. They made five changes. They were lucky to get through. They showed a bit of character to fight back, which was uh, impressive, but I wasn't particularly impressed by their football. I mean, that, that might be reflected in their price to win the FA Cup as well. They're certainly fourth favourites out of four uh, for that. I also saw uh, Norwich, though David you'd expect Arsenal to have enough to beat a Norwich team that, to be honest with you, I wouldn't say have checked out, but look like their season is pretty mm-hmm. much over. Yeah, I was I was listening, I think it was yourself and Stuart Pearce that would have been um, watching Norwich, on. Yeah. And um, you were ch- chatting about the quality of the players on show for Norwich and having seen a lot of them come out of the Championship and go into the Premier League and um, wondering where these players might sit, where the recruitment... Uh, Again, going off what Crook was saying about how important that is and players that they've managed to develop, where these players will then find themselves next season. And mm. I thought they're down there over the course of a season for a reason. Um, it seems to fit an Arsenal team at this moment in time to... I mean, I'm not saying Norwich are going to roll over and have the bellies tickle, but you know what I mean? Arsenal-Norwich. Arsenal in this frame of mind, in this portion of the season, Norwich with the way that their season's gone, plucky contenders to have a decent swing. It started relatively OK, tailed off. You get the feeling it's all very, very nice, but it does feel like a very stereotypical game that Arsenal that suits Arsenal down to the ground at this stage of the season, doesn't it? What's the best Arsenal can achieve, do you think, Crook? What's the motivation for them as they prepare for next season? Is it is it just making sure that some of those players are a part of Mikel Arteta's plans? Or is it aiming at Tottenham, who are only two points ahead of them going into this round of matches? What would be the motivation for those Arsenal players? I think making sure they finish in the top half is, is job number one. They haven't finished in the lower half of the Premier League since 1995. So that's not a record that Mikel Arteta is particularly going to want on his CV. They will say they can possibly still challenge for a Europa League place. The reality is there are too many better teams than them ahead of them in the table for that to happen. I guess they would want to build up some momentum ahead of the FA Cup semi-final, which they're going to lose anyway against Manchester City. I think this is a good game anyway for, for Mesut Ozil. We talked about him earlier. It wouldn't surprise me if he, if he did get some, some game time. And, and Norwich at home, as, as David has said, in a match where they're under no real pressure, is just the type of scenario where he will thrive. I think the form of Aubameyang w- would be a worry. He played slightly better at Southampton, although he was only up against Jan Valerie, who had an absolute nightmare at right back. Still didn't score. I think they need to get him firing again. But yeah, I think Arsenal are going to win this game. 
Andrew Butler is here with his midweek tips for Dream Team FC. Um, how are you? Are you okay? Yeah, good, Sam. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, what were you doing the weekend? You were watching Nottingham Forest, I hear? Uh, I, I was. I was double screening, I think they could call you? it. I had a double screening, but I had you on the audio for the Arsenal game, mm. watching David on the TV on one screen and wow. I was an absolute nightmare for my housemates who came in and already think that I watch a bit too much TV yeah. and watch a bit too much football but um, yeah I, I kind of own the living room Did for, you uh, for use all the student digs internet up? <laughs> they're all trying to call their boyfriends and stuff like that on video calls and I'm there like going oh, look, I really need this for work to, uh, <laughs> Good so. shout Good shout We like it We like your loyalty Okay um, Who are you showing loyalty this week? Uh, what's Butler's banker? I'm going to go for, for Nicola Pepe. Um, Arsenal, obviously, home to Norwich, which I think just should be a breeze at this stage in the season. Um, Pepe's now been involved in 16 goals this season, which is actually, I think, a pretty decent return um, in, in his debut season. Most star man was for, for Arsenal with, with seven. Um, I think he still needs to add to his game a little bit. I think there's elements of it which is symptomatic of him. I think he messed up and was bailed out by by Danny Ceballos at, right at the end of the game there. And it's those sort of opportunities that he probably should be gobbling up. But he's not actually been that bad this season with 137 points for Arsenal in Dream Team. Interesting, uh, David, that um, straight <clears throat> after the game, Mikel Arteta talked about him settling into the country and coming to a new country and what it was like for him to do so and that we shouldn't sort of underestimate the challenge that he's faced. But... As a, as a record signing, would you have been expecting more from him this season? Or, or do you think that his influence was such on the game that it bodes well going forward for the future? It's tough with transfer fees now. They're plucked out of the air. They seem extremely arbitrary, don't they, in the sense of what does £70 plus million pounds get you? Mm. A guaranteed, I don't know, 30 goals a season? I honestly don't know. I, I don't think there's a straight line between how much money you spend on a player nowadays and what you actually get uh, in their output. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And from what Arteta says, you can't take for granted somebody coming to a new country and settling in and different cultural uh, distinctions that they've got to get used to in the way that English football can, as we all know, be extremely brutal in, in, in several regards. But also the timing of coming to Arsenal, a lot of change. There's been a lot of change there for several seasons now. And you get the feeling that uh, once the comparisons with their great grand teams of yesteryear stop, then, they're gonna, then they would have start, started to make some actual progress but to, to keep referencing what's gone before to keep referencing uh, the team that they're not or the club that they're not now uh, doesn't do them any favours and I think Pepe's probably suffered a little bit of that but I think positively moving forward yeah Mikel would be pleased if you say if not exactly ecstatic pleased with the direction that him and the team in general perhaps seem to be going Butler's beauty this week yeah, I've, I've picked Harry Maguire. Um, he's in the game at 3.9 million, but he's gone over 200 points. Wow. Yeah, his goal against Norwich um, saw him hit that mark uh, for the season. He's now the fifth top scoring player on Dream Team entirely. Um, also the top scoring defender overtaking Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, who's on 197 points. So he uh, he said after the game that he wanted to add more goals to his game, which I was quite like from a centre-back saying, oh, I just need to chip in with a few more Um but, you know, United were, were I think, unconvincing against Norwich, but they do have this, they're, they're kind of falling into one of their kind of Fergie habits, which is just they keep on winning and, uh, and doing the job. Um, a quick word on Butler's block tackle. Just get rid of, uh, if you've still got any of them, which I don't think you should have at this stage of the season, get any, rid of anyone in your West Ham um, <laughs> from, from West Ham. Because in their two just games in general. Back, 
Yeah, just in general. <laughs> just purge yourself of uh, anything to do with West Ham. Uh, I did that many years ago. Um, in their last two games back from the from the break, they've scored a total of eleven points across their entire squad. Um, eight of them came from uh, from Declan Rice. I should add as well. So basically, they've had two point scoring players in Dream Team. Um, just to give you some reference in that time, Danny Ings has scored twenty seven points. Raheem Sterling scored twenty six. So um, West Ham not very good. Get rid of any players that you've got in your teams from West Ham because uh, they're looking atrocious. Okay, thank you very much, Andrew Butler. We'll see you again later in the week. Cheers, guys. The Sean Dyche stories won't go away. His future at Burnley very much in focus. Crook went to Crystal Palace against Burnley on Monday night to investigate. So I'm just on my way home after commentating Burnley's 1-0 win against Crystal Palace for TalkSport International. I was really impressed with the Clarets tonight. They defended absolutely superbly. Ben Mee, James Tarkovsky, Charlie Taylor in particular. Fabulous performances in Mee's case, crowned by the winning goal. And I have to say, when you look at all that's going on off the pitch with Sean Dyche and his future, I think it's created a siege mentality Burnley up to 8th in the table now, level on points with Spurs they've got a favourable fixture list they could well be ending the season with a tilt at a European place which would be a great achievement for Deitch if he is to leave Turf Moor this summer Palace were flat, uh, Wilf Zaha flatter to deceive again, 3 goals and 3 assists for him this season surely if you're talking about a player supposedly rated in the 60-70 million pound bracket, he needs to deliver more I think Roy Hodgson is in need of some investment in the summer to sign some attacking players. Otherwise, next season could be a really difficult one for the Eagles. He's got a chance, Davis. He's still got a chance. Carver Lewin, 3 1. It rolled into the net. We need to have a goal. We need to have motivation. The team, above all, are not so far, but of course, we have to run fast. Sucking Tielemann again. And now Vardy with a chance at a goal. Wonderful Leicester City, wonderful Leicester City play. We just really have to focus on, on our own performance, forget about everyone else. We're in the, in the in the position that we're in because of how well we've done. And with seven games to go, we're in an absolutely brilliant position. It's been a tricky return to action for Leicester out of the FA Cup, but without really causing Chelsea too many problems, really. They, I mean, they did have a couple of sort of jabs in the first half in front of goal but it is no wins in three since the resumption and James Madison having a hip injury and seemingly borrowing somebody else's clothes because that was surely an XXL t-shirt he was wearing at the weekend <laughs> didn't fit at all did it? I mean unless oversized clothes from the 90s have come back uh, I was definitely sure that he's picked up one of Harry Maguire's leftovers uh, from his time in the Leicester dressing room and he would be a big miss if they don't have him for much longer he would. He's, he's a fantastic footballer. Isn't he? He's, he's um, the type of player that, and I think he comes across in that essence. He doesn't lack any form of self-belief at all, does he? And I think what he's brought to Leicester, nice touch of class, uh, ability on, on on set pieces and, and on the ball in general. And it's it's been a it's, it's been a tough restart, I think. But I think let's not get too carried away. We know what Brendan's like. He obviously talks about things in a very 
harmonious and uh, empathetic sense, doesn't he? The squad's all very it, it take, together. He takes and... the positives out of everything, doesn't he? I mean, he, his view uh, after the game was everything. excellent, wasn't it? It was, look, we were so good in that first half, we forced Chelsea into making a, a, a triple substitution. That that was his takeaway from the game. Um, but I suppose when we look at the season as a whole, there's a reason that why the cream rises to the top. Leicester were always going to come under pressure as we got mm. to the season's climax. He'd be a brilliant corporate speaker, wouldn't he, Brendan Rodgers? <laughs> he probably um, is going to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the future but they seem to have been stuck on sort of 52 55 points for a long time Leicester because the rut set in even before the season was curtailed initially and, and you look at the teams chasing them now Wolves are only three points behind Manchester United are only six points behind Chelsea are only a point behind it, it would have been unthinkable a few weeks ago but I think there's a danger that unless Leicester can find their mojo quickly they could slip out of the top four and then you would be looking at a scenario where They've, they've gone from being on the cusp of a fantastic season to a really disappointing one. I've spoken to a couple of Leicester fans even a this morning. A really disappointed one. I think it'll be a really disappointing one if they don't get Champions League football, having at one stage looked like they would be the nearest challengers to Liverpool. And I think from the outside, we're all saying, oh, Brendan will sort it out. There's some good players there. They're worried that, that this team have, have lost their rhythm a while ago now and, and don't seem to be showing any signs of rediscovering it. Everton are their opponents and I think Everton have sort of obviously they've got a good manager uh, a manager with a lot of uh, experience and, and tactical now so I thought he set them up brilliantly against Liverpool they weren't particularly impressive against Norwich but it was a short turnaround between those two games they've had a bit of a rest and they'll pose a few problems I think to Leicester City because defensively they look quite solid now Everton and also going forward they've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin who does cause other teams problems they would need an excellent run and again teams ahead of them to falter but you could see them finishing ahead of Burnley and Palace and Arsenal and Sheffield United are in free fall so if they could get into the top eight top seven I think that'd be a great achievement for Ancelotti when you look at the state they were in when he took over I think this is a game that is there to be won for Everton if they can start on the front foot Leicester's confidence clearly has been dented so it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if we would see the Toffee celebrating here Okay, Sheffield United against Spurs. I thought Sheffield United were much better at Bramwell Lane on Sunday. They pinned Arsenal into their box for large periods, but goals are still an issue, aren't they? Chris Wilder saying that 20 million quid was a massive outlay for a striker for Sheffield United, and we haven't really got the money to go and spend 50, 60 million pounds to try and attract someone who's going to get 20, 20, 30 goals a season um, to the club. But that is somehow they've got to come up with a formula where they get enough goals to win them more games because. They created a couple of half-decent chances, more than a couple of half-decent chances in that game against Arsenal. And if they'd had someone to take them, then then they would have been over the hills and far away before Arsenal came back and ended up winning that game in injury time, David. It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because as, as we've lauded them and spoken about them, and, and we, I think we've gotten over the that kind of, and I think Chris has as well, and hopefully he's, he's got that out of the general kind of consensus and the very... Um, shorthanded way of, of the opinion that comes of Sheffield United like plucky team playing a certain way we we talk about the full backs and getting forward one cross into all that type of stuff uh, and then you move beyond that and then that's when the te- tactical and technical and the recruitment side of it come into it and that's when you really do I think prove yourself as a top level manager yes you can motivate players yes you can pull together a team that's greater than the sum of its parts and get them to somewhere that individually they wouldn't have got to they're all in there together now now, there's no disgrace in upgrading that team at all. You need the money to upgrade that team. You look at David McGoldrick, one hell of a job that he does going forward, 
and you and you can watch and you can see and you can and you can understand the value of that player and what that player does because you kind of you hopefully put yourself in the position of perhaps a midfielder playing in that team you know that he's going to work his socks off you're not going to get someone with his arms out shrugging his shoulders if if things aren't going quite as well you're going to get absolutely that but sometimes that man with his arms out shrugging his shoulders will get you 25 goals which suddenly takes you from being a team that's happy to be in mid-table to a team that's looking at the big boys going we're coming for you a lot we've got something pretty special to, to do and um, it, it's it's let's not get ahead of ourselves with Sheffield tonight it's that base season where anything above the bottom three is absolutely staggeringly phenomenal because of how huge the gap is between the championship and the, then after that it's about upgrading they've tried it Lundstrom is a player that's played so well for them over the course of the last couple of seasons and then big money signings come in but then the default setting is he seems to find his way back into the team and because he knows the system and he knows exactly how this side sets up but there is I, I do think and Crook used the example of Wolves and not being scared not being uh, naive not being innocent about saying this group of players is fantastic this lot of played in the Champions League let's just drop these in let's see what he can do let's move the squad around a little bit because he, he doesn't strike me as a manager that's happy just to be in the Premier League. He wants to flourish, doesn't he, Chris Wilder, in the Premier League? I think so. And uh, I think he he will look at the recruitment over the course of the summer and do his best to try and improve that team because what we can hope is that they don't have a second season syndrome because they've basically had it after lockdown and, and that he sort of realised they need more quality in that team if they're going to not only survive next season but to continue to compete in the way they have. Um, let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur because they'll be largely rested between the West Ham game that I was at last Wednesday and this game uh, which is on Thursday so they've had eight days to prepare for Sheffield United and you would anticipate then that Harry Kane would be a little bit further along in his rehabilitation you would expect Jose Mourinho to be a little bit more organised and uh, and have that team well drilled I think defensively they play very well in their game against West Ham they were pretty good against Manchester United in that regard as well so I mean could we see Tottenham Hotspur going on a little run here Crook? Well I think this is a big test of how far they have come it's still a game away from home which hasn't been fantastic for Tottenham over the course of the season but they've picked up four very good points in the first two home games back after restart here they are on the road and it's a chance for Jose to prove they've cured those travel sickness as you said they've been tighter defensively clearly he's spent a lot of time on the training pitch and in public parks working on that during the lockdown um, Harry Kane will benefit from just the feeling of the ball hitting the back of the net again I still thought he was a bit sluggish against West Ham but as you say he's had more recovery time this game is there for Tottenham to win if they do then it puts the pressure on the teams above them once again uh, two of the teams above them are Manchester City and Liverpool and this game is going to be a little bit anticlimactic when we get there at the end of this round of fixtures because a week ago it might have been different but Manchester City have already surrendered the title they know that they're going to have to form a guard of honour for the champions Liverpool is there any way they can take advantage of a post-celebratory Liverpool? I think Jurgen Klopp said it's going to be the greatest game ever played behind closed doors, which is, is a, quite obviously a huge comment. But um, if, in the sense of what we've seen from two teams... Sounds like a crook prediction. What, <laughs> it's, from what we've seen from t- two teams when they've been at the peak this season, they're both phenomenal. What, would the parting have played a part into it? I think that they would be forgiven if that was the case. We're not talking about... Um, no one's changed the world. No one's uh, cured any form of terminal disease. No one's, you know what I mean, saved the planet. But in our little bracket of, of what we are passionate and, and love about football, I'm, I'm not a Liverpool fan or, or by any stretch of the imagination, but you can't, I mean, to win it after all this time, to do what he's done over the course of the last four seasons, to, to be exactly as well. 
Uh, exactly. And and the, the thing is, and, and again, watching uh, Manchester City against Newcastle and, and dominate the way that they play, just giving you that little reminder, again, with great respect with regard to who they were playing, Manchester City have been a phenomenal Premier League side yeah. and Liverpool have been exactly that also. Let, let's, let's, you've got to put it into perspective. Liverpool have blown them away this season but and they gave them a, a proper good chase down last season. But Man City withstood that. That, but that suggests the character, the, the, the fundamental backbone to that squad last season. What Liverpool have done, have laid, have laid, have laid down a gauntlet. That I'm, ju- I'm just so excited to see what Pep does off the back of that. And one of the things that um, he's never done is actually rebuild a side. So mm. win something, be amazing, break records, then get a setback and then go again and do it all over again. It'll be interesting to see whether he's got the, the gumption and the appetite to do that. Uh, but I think we pointed this out last week where we paid tribute to, to Liverpool and Manchester City in that the fact that the reason Liverpool are so good now is because Manchester City was so good last year and the year before. And they have raised the level and Liverpool have then gone and matched it and then raised it again mm. in order to be able to, to win the title. So both of them have to be credited because when we look back over uh, you know, the next 20 years at what we've seen since 2000, they'll be regarded as probably some of the best ever Premier League champions because of their records and points total. And look, there are still records to chase. There are still, uh, still enough to keep Liverpool hungry. Mo Salah, I, I read, says that he wants to win the golden boot. But ultimately, their season now is coming to an end, Liverpool. Manchester City's has still got a very, mm. very long way to go, Alex. Yeah, and for that reason, I think this game in, in many ways is probably more important for Liverpool and there'll be a greater determination for them to win than for Manchester City. And of course, the, the, the greatest number of points over the course of a Premier League season is very much there for the taking as well. And mm. Jurgen Klopp is a man who demands the highest standards. It's He's aware it's been a slightly unusual way to win the title. I thought he spoke superbly in the immediate aftermath of of being crowned champions in midweek. He, he got exactly the right tone. But I think he will want this team to, to smash both of those records. So I think we, we're going to see Liverpool maintain their intensity right until the end of the season. OK, um, we've got to go. But I do want to mention before we forget to talk about defending, and, and Otamendi's mistake to me in the Newcastle game at the weekend was the prime example of why Manchester City did not defend their title. Um, He not only passed the ball to a Newcastle player on the edge of his own penalty area, he then got back into position and promptly decided that his legs were no longer necessary to him (laughs) and decided to just sit on the ground. Uh, If that is not a hole that needs filling, I don't know what is. Well, I think they've already started the process of filling him. They were hearing today that Nathan Ake is, is a serious consideration for Pep Guardiola so uh, let's watch that one with interest Okay, Uh, what a show the ultimate preview is back on Friday when Crook and I will be joined by Darren Lewis if he remembers who I am or what I look like actually when he sees me now he'll be be even more shocked please rate and review and tell all your friends to download remember there are three live commentaries for you on Wednesday on TalkSport Arsenal against Norwich Leicester versus Everton and West Ham versus Chelsea I'm going to shave the rest of my hair off now and try and imitate Britney Spears The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. 
Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 